dynamic community of 500 volunteers doing everything from front desk work, janitorial work, community reporting, hosting information booths, clerical support, news writing, documentary making, operating soundboards, engineering and computer help, website upkeep, and many, many other things. To become a KBU volunteer, come to our next monthly volunteer orientation on Tuesday, August 7th at 6 p.m. at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm volunteer. This is Making Contact. Sometimes in my dream, I feel like I don't have a father. So, yeah. When my father gets out, I hope that we are starting a new life. I'll be 12 years old. I am nine right now. He has missed so many things. When one or both parents are incarcerated, the family, by extension, is also incarcerated. And they're adversely affected in profound ways that exacerbate existing structural inequalities and struggles. On this episode, we learn about programs for inmates and families, like Family Works and the Storybook Program. These are programs that encourage rebuilding and maintaining relationships despite being separated by prison. I'm your host, RJ Lozada. Stay tuned. The Osborne's Family Works program is the first comprehensive parenting program in a men's state prison. Founded in New York, Family Works operates as a counterbalance to the numerous challenges in keeping a family together. Producer Sylvia Ryerson brings us this piece from New York City. In the closet, we have a big bin. Oh, this is, yeah, this is a birthday card. This, this is year. a birthday card from this year. He wrote, you are loved a lot and you must know it. But all the same, this comes to show with love on your birthday, love dad. And we have a bunch more. We just have a big memory box. That's Gia, reading the card she got from her dad celebrating her ninth birthday. Gia was not yet two years old when her dad went to prison. Now she's an outgoing fourth grader whose favorite things are drawing and eating cotton candy. I'm sitting with Gia and her mom, Marnie, at their kitchen table. I met my husband, Jim, when I was 12 years old in the neighborhood that we both grew up in, Hell's Kitchen. And then we didn't see each other for years and years. And then we met again when we were like, I was about 34. And we went on a date. (laughs) And from that moment on, we've been together. 30 days later, he asked me to marry him and gave me an engagement ring. And it was like a fairy tale until... He got arrested. It was November 5th, 2010. And from what we were told, there was a confidential informant that said that he had some uh, stuff in the house that shouldn't have been there. And when they came in, the stuff that they were looking for actually wasn't there, but they did find a gun, a firearm. He did tell them when they walked in that it was there, and he did tell them where it was. And he said, you know, my wife and my kids have nothing to do with this. It's mine. And But they arrested all of us. And then they took my kids to the ACS office downtown. Although Marnie was never charged in the crime, because of it, she lost her job. And her co-op board kicked her out of her apartment. 
It took her eight months to get the full custody of her children back. When she showed up in court for Jim's sentencing, she listened, in shock, as the judge sentenced him to 12 years for criminal possession of a weapon. When it happened, I just like nearly collapsed because I just couldn't believe it. I thought because he was a repeat offender that you know, they have to give him a little extra time. But 12 years is a really long time. At the time, Marnie's daughter Kim was three years old. Gia was about to turn two, and she had an infant, Frankie, who was just three months old. I do have times where I feel like a single parent, but then again, I know that when my husband was home, he was a really great dad, very attentive, always on the weekends, you know, he would take them everywhere. And now, you know, it's been hard for all of us because, you know, when we go on visits, like when they say time's up and everybody has to get up and say goodbye, then it's hard. Tonight, Marnie is getting the family ready for a visit to see Jim the next morning. So how many pages do you have of math tonight? Um, two. Two? For many years, Jim was incarcerated in far upstate New York, a seven-hour bus ride one way, which made trips with the kids difficult and rare. Now he is at Sing Sing Prison, about a two-hour train ride north of the city, and they try to visit him once a month. But tomorrow will be a special visit. They will be attending Jim's graduation ceremony. Over the past year, Jim has been participating in Family Works, a comprehensive parenting program offered by the Osborne Association, a New York-based nonprofit. Tomorrow, the family will be celebrating Jim's accomplishment together. He's completed over 50 hours of coursework and classes, all focused on how he can be a better parent and partner. Gia tells me she's excited for the visit and already has her clothes laid out for the early morning departure. Sometimes in my dream, I feel like I don't have a father. So, yeah. When my father gets out, I hope that we are starting a new life. I'll be 12 years old. I am nine right now. He has missed so many things. At 8.30 a.m. the next morning, inside the Sing Sing prison visiting room, I watched Jim wrap his seven-year-old son Frankie in a big hug, calling him by his nickname, Beast, as he proudly introduces him to his friends. Come here, Beast. Come here, Beast. Say hello. <laughs> the visiting room feels festive. Tablecloths are laid over folding tables, each topped with stuffed animals for kids to take home, and the Sing Sing prison band is playing. After opening remarks from prison and Osborne staff, Family Works graduate Jean Lewis takes the mic. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I am totally nerve-wracked right now. This is like my first time doing something like this. Um, I ask you to bear with me because um, I'm truly like scared right now. <laughs> Lewis's hands are shaking as he unfolds a piece of paper at the podium. It's a letter he wrote to his eight-year-old son, Jeremiah, who's sitting in the audience. This is the hardest letter I have ever had to write. I want you to hear the truth from me. I am in prison because I broke the law. Your mother is not to blame for me being here. You are not to blame for me being here. Just because I am away from you doesn't mean that I don't love you. Uh, this is kind of touching for me because 
I love my son and I want him to not make mistakes that I've made. Um, it is hard being a man facing the truth, but when you make a mistake, you are the only one who can correct it. Make sure you do everything that you can to undo any harm or pain you cause. Until I get home, I want you to know that I think of you night and day. Obey your mother's rules. Respect her and love her because she needs you now more than ever. At the heart of the Family Works program is a demanding 16-week parenting class, which covers a breadth of topics. Imani Davis was central in developing the Family Works curriculum, and she took the mic after Jean Lewis. I want to acknowledge you for every letter that you wrote that went unanswered and that you continued to write. I want to acknowledge you for your willingness to take yourself on to be, and to begin to come to terms with the harms that has been done to you and the harm that you have perpetuated. But most of all, I want to acknowledge you for using love as a form of resistance against a system that has been actively and intentionally dismantling our families since slavery, that you chose love as your act of doing that. Davis's connection to Family Works is personal. When she was six years old, her father was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Davis's mother is Elizabeth Gaines, the president and CEO of the Osborne Association. Gaines first had the idea of starting the program over 30 years ago, right after Davis's father was arrested. My daughter shared with some of her friends that her father was incarcerated and parents like canceled playdates. And so we realized that it was stigmatizing for the kids, but also that I really didn't know what was the right thing to do. What should I tell them and what might happen? And it occurred to me as we were trying to figure out how my kid's dad was going to parent them, that there was this big gap in how prisons thought about men in prison as being fathers. So, with her own sense of urgency, Gaines reached out to dozens of experts in psychology, neuroscience, and human and adolescent development. One of her early collaborators was Dr. Carl Maza, a doctor of social work, and together they began to map out the curriculum. Central to the program's philosophy is that participants must understand the impact their incarceration has had on their children's lives in order to begin to mend and grow this relationship. Each class session begins with a short video followed by a facilitated group discussion. Here's Dr. Carl Maza in the video for the first day of the parenting class. Consistency in children's lives is enormously, enormously important. A child needs to know that the person who loved me last week loves me today and will love me next month. So once daddy is gone, the child's world, the, the foundation of the child's world is now gone. Because if daddy goes today, what's to prevent if I go to school tomorrow that mommy won't be here? Or grandma? Or auntie? The child becomes... The course stresses the importance of establishing this bond of love despite one's incarceration. And in order to do so successfully, a key point of the class is dismantling the assumption that just because someone is in prison, it does not necessarily mean they are a bad role model for their child. Again, Dr. Maza. You, you need to separate that, sir. Yeah. And that there are wonderful, loving, caring qualities within each one of you that you need to accept first 
before you are able to relate those to your children. For Gaines, the course is a careful balancing act, definitively underscoring the importance of being a parent while incarcerated, while accepting the limits of one's parental role. So you have to really get down to the core of what really is a parent. And, you know, if you can't take them to the soccer practice, what can you do? How do you have real discussions? This is why, Gaines says, the curriculum has an enormous focus on communication skills. Skills to use not only with one's child, but equally importantly, with the child's primary caregiver on the outside. All of this, Gaines insists, is critical to successful reentry. In focusing on how one can be a parent from prison, the program aims to prepare individuals for returning home to their families. With your release from prison and your transition back to the family, your main job in terms of this is to understand how your family functions now. You can't go in and say, Daddy's home, things are changing. Your initial job with your children is to understand your kids from a different perspective, from being a father out in a larger world. According to a 2009 report from the Sentencing Project, over half of the people in state and federal prisons are parents of minor children. 1.7 million children in the United States have a parent in prison on any given day. Black children are 7.5 times more likely than white children to have an incarcerated parent. Given this staggering reality, Gaines says, supporting family connectivity for children with incarcerated parents is critically important, both for the child's well-being and for the parent's successful reentry. And yet, the system works to do the opposite. As Gaines lists all the pieces that should be in place, yet generally are not. Parenting education is part of it. Decent visiting is part of it. Keeping prisons closer to families so that people can visit. Making phone calls affordable. All of the things that allow families to sustain themselves as families and be able to understand the impact and and really mitigate it, Um, I think, the, the difference for kids is extraordinary. Back in the Sing Sing visitation room, I find Jim and Marnie after the ceremony. Jim is listening attentively as Marnie catches him up on the latest plans for Halloween. Says he wants to be the nurse. And Frank was thinking about being a Care Bear too. He was going to be a blue Care Bear. She was going to be a pink one. I asked Jim what taking this class has meant for him. I really grew up in jail, and I didn't know what it was to be a father. I didn't know how it was to be, like, soft towards children, you know? I was, I was never raised that way. I was raised in a hard life, and um, that's all I knew was a hard life, you know? You could throw me in, could throw me in any jail you want, and I could, lie, I could live, I could survive. But when you put me around the kids, it's like, wow, this is, this is really hard, you know? But, Jim says... The class has helped him to be more patient, to listen more, and yell less. Gia is sitting by Jim's side, and she has an assignment for her dad. You need to make me a baby book. I don't have one. Need to make you a baby book? Yeah, I don't have one. You're not a baby no more, though. Yeah, but still, memories? I remember very well. What do you remember? I remember you as a little baby at one time. 
I remember when you was in the, um, the, ba- the wash basket. All too soon, the time is over. The visit room is closed. We ask that all civilians and visitors come to the front so that you can exit. The visit room is closed. Jim and Marnie brace for the moment they knew was coming all along. Marnie watches as Jim gives Gia one last kiss. Take care. I love you all. Be good. Gigi, give me kisses and hugs. I love you. Love you too. You sure? Yeah. Visitors, you need to make your way to the front. It is time to go. The visit room is closed. Reporting from New York, I'm Sylvia Ryerson for Making Contact. After leaving the visitation room, Marnie and the kids took a two-hour train ride back to New York City. For Halloween, I heard that Gia was a cutie pop, Frankie was a minion, and Kim was Minnie Mouse. I also hear Gia's baby book is in the works. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Making Contact. We're sharing stories about families impacted by the prison system. And just to give you a snapshot of an idea, in 2007, of the 1.7 million children in America with a parent in prison, more than 70% were children of color. 62% of parents in state prisons are more than 100 miles away from home. And over half had not had any personal visits with their children while in prison. The New Hampshire Department of Corrections has a storybook program that inmate parents have to earn merit to participate in. And while this does not substitute face-to-face connections, it is an opportunity for parents to connect with their kids. Producer Lisa Bartfei puts together these voices. Do you guys have any like, recommendations well, for previous people? It depends which age are you picking up. Right now, I'd do probably my daughter. And how old is she? She's three. Three? Okay. Um, my name is Giovanni Monroe. I'm 37, and we are in the New Hampshire State Prison for Men in Concord, New Hampshire. In the middle section here is a younger kid. Do you know what she's interested in? She likes Care Bears. Care Bears. My Little Ponies. Christina Toth, T-O-T-H. So I'm the administrator and creator of the Family Connection Center. So the Family Connection Center is a family support program located in all of the New Hampshire Department of Corrections prisons. So um, in the, I think, 19 years that we've been in existence, it's pretty much been the same. You have to take a parenting class. It's an 18-hour parenting education class and just teaches about um, democratic parenting styles. Then you can do these other perks that we have, which is including the books on CD. So here's the form to fill out for signing up for the books on audio tape. Mm-hmm. And you have to fill out All my kids love reading. They love books. It's one of the things that... Um, even though I've had prior problems, is one of the things that I, I uh, practice with my kids. You know, my 12-year-old, he's read 700-something books throughout the year. He keeps track, and I'm very proud of that. You can um, have little messages like, you know, this is my favorite book growing up, or I loved reading this to you when you were a child, or I saw this one, and it has... So see, long ago, under a castle bridge, lived a troll named Trorella. Trollarella? Yeah. Every night she dreamed of being beautiful, but every day she woke up to the same gruesome reflection. I don't think I'm adding any emphasis to it, but uh, <laughs> let's see. Trollarella's brother, Victro, was proud of his ugliness and used, used it to his advantage. It's been a while since I've actually read to the kids, so it was a little uh, nerve-wracking. Until the visitor threw him in a gold coin. The bridge was soon called the Trollway. And uh, Vic Troll's fee was called the Troll Toll. So I was already working in the prison system, and we were no- it was a co-ed prison that I worked at. And myself and others were noticing that we had mothers and fathers 
in the same prison and we saw uncles and grandfathers and sons and like something's going on we need to do some kind of intervention and help these families i had a rough childhood so everything that was done wrong in my life growing up i wanted to do the opposite for them when we were designing the program i did some research to find out you know ways to keep families together and i actually had um, talked to some people that had been in vietnam and that they children had recorded stories to send to their fathers and I think vice versa so that was the inspiration. We might not physically be there together but it still shows them that even though I'm this far away I'm still attempting to be that much closer so it tries to keep the bond where it was instead of it just drifting apart and then having to start fresh. For some parents it is you know it wasn't they were not read to as a child so they're learning first of all how important it is and they're given the tools to actually implement that um, method of reaching out to the children. And then it also, that tangible object, the book and the CD or the cassette tape, is now in the child's possession. So it gives them a little bit of power, which children don't usually have power. And certainly those children who have a parent incarcerated, they have no power to see or hear or touch their parent that's gone away. So now if they have the ability, they can you know, play the CD and listen to mom or dad say, I love you. When Simba looked up at the stars, he heard a familiar voice. Simba, his father asked, you have, have you forgotten me? Simba gasped, no, how could I? You have forgotten who you are, and so have forgotten me. The ghostly voice continued. Emily, I love this movie and book. I hope you like the book. I love and miss you. Love always, Daddy. Uh, my name is David Johansson, I'm age 30. No, I've been doing this for uh, almost two years now. I send books home every few months. Oh, well, my daughter has an expressive speech delay, so she responds better to listening to books on CD. Me sending books home, it's, she can now do it, books on CD, and it's my voice. It's more personable, and she can do it when she wants to just read a book or for bedtime, and I feel like I'm actually helping out with her education, even though I can't be home to physically help with homework. Um. Um, Ready? Yeah. Holly Johansson, we're here in my living room. We have my son, Elijah, who's three, and Emily, my daughter, who's five. An elephant, a whole bunch of birds, and a zebra. Um, I have learned the importance of um, family and priorities and uh, what family means. Yeah, a lot of what he's learned is um, to manage things one step at a time. Um, and his patience with things has grown immensely in his patience with himself of, you know, just, I, I can't, some things I can't control, the calmness that he now has, I think, will will just carry forward into his daily life. I worked a lot. I was a manager of a group home, so the hours were um, very demanding, and I worked on average 100 to 120 hours a week, so I wasn't really home a lot. The priority is changing, has changed um, as to being family. This situation has helped me tremendously be a better person, uh, make better choices. I've made boundaries with myself that I'm only gonna work a 40-hour job, you know, stay home as much as I can to, 
to be there for my kids and, you know, not make up for lost time because I can never do that, but be there for all the future times to come. Wise old Rafiki stood at the edge of Pride Rock and held up the cub for all to see. The elephants trumpeted and the zebras whined for joy as the future Lion King joined the great circle of life. And that's the end. I hope you like this book, Emily. Uh, I got another one coming up soon, too, so hold on. So I think the biggest misconception um, is that that many people in society have is that the males and females in prison are bad people, did bad things, so they don't deserve their children. And I think they need to turn and look at it from the child's perspective, that the child did nothing wrong and they lost their mom or dad. And usually that child loves that mom and dad no matter what. I know whatever society might have to say or think about me, I have no control over that. Tony Hebert, I have three beautiful children, two boys and a girl. When it comes to my children, what they remember from my time away, I hope what I'm doing here will leave a positive impression as they get older and they're not afraid to share it. They're not afraid to tell their friends or ha be worried if someone would frown on them because they've had a father or a parent in prison. All right, kiddos. It's your daddy again. It's that time of year. You know, I always love reading guys' Christmas books, so the same one as last year and the year before. I know you both love it. The Night Before Christmas. You guys remember this story. If you remember, you follow along with me, okay? This was the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that old St. Nick would soon be there. The children were nested all slung in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. My youngest son is probably, I wouldn't say my most difficult child, but because he was so young when I was here, um, you know, and having to watch him grow up here, we have struggles sometimes where he kind of doesn't always understand that I'm, father's role has a, has a play as well and my voice has a say, so. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below, when to my wonder and I should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. Wonder who that can be. Just knowing how to be patient with him and understand and, you know, accept what his reality is, it's helped me kind of like bridge the gap on being away but still being able to help him through his hard times as he's struggling with my absence as well. More rapid than eagles, his carriers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now you guys remember these guys' names, so if you do, follow along with me. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer, and Vixen. Come on Comet, come on Cupid, come on Donder and Blitzen. I mean, I don't really know where I would be in the relationship as far as my kids, you know, yeah, they'd probably still be around, but how would our relationship be if I didn't have this place here, you know, and being able to have that 
extra step of contact of, you know, books on CDs and the Skype and those little things that make a huge, huge difference. And St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinkle I heard on the roof the prancing and prowling of each little hoof. As I drew in my bed and was turning around, down the chimney saying... Tony Hebert has been in prison since September of 2013. His minimum parole date is in 2025. David Johansson has been in since December 2015 and is scheduled to be released sometime December 2017. Giovanni Monroe has been in since February of 2017. His minimum parole date is in January 2020. These are just three of the many moms and dads who are part of the Family Connections Program in the New Hampshire prison system. Studies have shown that incarcerated people who get visitors and have contact with their families during their time in prison are less likely to end up back there. The thought being that strong ties with family and friends during incarceration will ease their entry back into the community. For Making Contact, I'm Lisa Bartfei in Maine. And that's it for Making Contact. For more information on these programs or any of our other stories about the prison industrial complex, please visit our website, radioproject.org. Lisa Rudman is our executive director. Marie Che, Anita Johnson, Monica Lopez are our producers. Sabine Blazan is our audience engagement manager. And Vera Tykolsker is our development associate. And I'm our... KABU Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of the Feet to the Fire campaign and protest on Saturday, August 11th at 10 a.m. at the Multnomah County Courthouse in Portland. The monthly Feet to the Fire campaign is part of a national campaign started by Protect Our Stolen Treasures out of Detroit to hold district attorneys accountable for protecting us against police violence and hate crimes. This peaceful protest outside a county courthouse calls for justice for those lost to police violence and hate crimes. Again, that's the Feet to the Fire campaign and protest this month, Saturday, August 11th at 10 a.m. at the Multnomah County Courthouse, 1021 Southwest 4th Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. What does it mean to be called crazy in a crazy world? Listen to Madness Radio, voices and visions from outside mental health. Sponsored by the Icarus Project and Portland Hearing Voices, Madness Radio can be heard on KBOOFM, the Pacifica Network, and online at madnessradio.net. Welcome to Madness Radio. This is your host, Will Hall. Today, my guest is Sabrina Louise. Sabrina is an educator of vegan cuisine. Uh, she's a food and water activist and works for the Unitarian Universalist Ministry for Earth. Sabrina is based in Portland, Oregon, and is one of the founding members of Rethinking Psychiatry. Today, we're going to be talking about sane vegan transition. So thank you for joining me on Madness Radio, Sabrina Louise. Thanks for having me. So you and I have known each other for a long time through your work for mental health system reform in Portland, Oregon, through the group Rethinking Psychiatry. And so it's great to have you. Uh, great to have you on the show. 
Thanks so much for having me. It's it's a great opportunity to be here with you today, Will. Yeah. Now I should start out by saying that you know even though 